Hey everybody, and uh, welcome back to another episode of Digital Artcast. Uh, I'm glad to have uh, you fine people back here once again listening to everything I have to say. Um, although it can probably get tired for most of you out there, um, I am appreciative of people who tune in every week or every other week to listen to me talk to some amazing artists from round about the world um, in this industry and many, many more. Um, the list has actually been grown extensively since the lockdown. People have had a bit more time, um, which has meant that um, I've been able to grab some really great interviews from people, um, you know, a couple that I want to keep under wraps for now, um, and maybe you will be hearing of in the future, but um, at the moment I have another great artist waiting to talk. Um, this particular artist I met at Lightbox uh, in LA last year, um, during the time when I was uh, helping wrap this table. And uh, yeah, we, we talked uh, briefly at the time, but then as, as, as we kind of added each other on social and got to talking, I noticed that this uh, particular guest had a really extensive uh, career and had many, many uh, movie, film, TV credits um, that I thought would be great for anybody looking to either follow his path or get interested in his work and maybe find out a bit more about him and his process. Um, so please welcome me. Uh, and bringing on uh, an amazing guest. We're really lucky to have him today here today. Um, Phil Booty. Hey, Phil. Oh, hello. Thank you for hey. having me. No, of course, you're very welcome on, and I'm really glad that you gave up your time uh, to come and talk to me. It's, it's a great honor. No problem. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Uh, so, Phil, yeah, uh, we were just kind of talking briefly before we started recording um, about this extensive career you've had, uh, almost at this point, multiple appearances online of, of kind of behind the scenes of a lot of the, the stuff you've worked on and the people you've got to work with, um, which is, like I say, is it's, it's probably for this particular podcast, because we maybe focus more on um, games, entertainment design, um, but your credits are more towards uh, film, TV uh, and costuming specifically, probably for actors or people in those roles. Um but then did you get this started through the traditional routes? Did you go to an art school? Are you self-taught? Or Yeah, I, uh, I went to California State University, Long Beach here in LA. Um, okay. Uh, I studied just classic or just traditional illustration. So I had a very broad education um, in terms yep. of like, you know, I was doing figure drawing, costume figures, sequential imagery, storyboarding. Like I was just mm -hmm. learning how to illustrate in general um, with, with right. a lot of focus in costume, but I did have an interest at the time in character design or um, okay. my program didn't have that at the time. So I kind of geared my curriculum towards people because I like drawing people. Um, right. I think that's where the kind of costume part kind of came in was just trying to figure out how I could draw people the best that I could. Right. Okay. And then, so you are at the moment, I mean, official titles aside, but it's more, so you're more production design. Is that right? Is that more your official title than maybe concept design? No, I actually, so I, I, let me, let me give a little backstory for me. I, mm -hmm. I, grew, I grew up in film, so I was mm -hmm. an actor from the time I was around, uh, it was like three until okay. 16, 17. So I did a lot of work. I did television and commercials and things like that. So that was like my upbringing. But wow. once I got into the teen years and I was auditioning for older roles, I mm -hmm. didn't like the way, I remember being very conscious of it, but I didn't like the way that young black men were portrayed on TV. Like the roles were all very stereotypical or okay. violent or, you know, something. Um, and so right. I remember getting frustrated and just feeling like, at least from my background, I had... Mm -hmm you know, both parents was going to school, was going to college, had good grades. Like, so I was like, not that I need to play something opposite of that. I was just like, where is that role in general? Like, where's that guy? And that guy okay. never popped up. So yeah, I went to school and I said, the only other thing that I was really interested in was art. I had always drawn. I had always been doing little doodles. Like everyone would always tell me like all my homework assignments would come in with drawings on them. So I was like, that's my other passion. So when I went to school, right. I decided to study that. Now, when mm -hmm. you're trying to find, I think every artist has this, when you're trying to find your art niche, all of the people mm -hmm. around you, especially if they don't know about art, they just kind of throw out things. So they'll just be like, oh, you like art? Do logos. And you're like, I don't like logos. You know, they're like, do this, do that. You know, like something where they're just like, you know, so-and-so down at the barbershop needs a logo. And you're like, but I hate logos. Like, I don't want to draw that. <laughs> you're like, but it's graphic design, you know, because at the time, graphic design was like the trigger. So it was like, it's graphic design. It's graphic design. Yeah. Like, I don't want to do graphic design. So... 
it was like everyone was throwing things out. And when I was in school, I also minored in film because I wanted to keep my film background intact. So okay. I had illustration as my major and my minor was film. So I started to work with the, uh, the all of the film kids at school and I was production designing, which is I was designing sets or I was doing their whole overall, like if they're doing a short that's in an apartment, I was designing what the apartment looked like. So that was kind oh, of wow. my first foray into that. And I mm-hmm. would do short films like in between my class, my classes or every, uh, every break. So I would try to work on a film and do something like that. Now, someone, right. someone told me in school, and I wish I knew who it was because I used the quote because I remember it. Someone told me that it takes about three years after you get out of school to where people are calling you and you're not calling them. So <laughs> okay. I decided, you know, being the smart ass that I am, I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to get that three years out of the way while I'm in school. So as soon as I get out of school, I'll already have contact. So that's what I did. So right. Yeah. Free break, yeah. film something, do a commercial, do a short film, do a music video, whatever. And by the time I graduated, I was fully working as a production designer doing music videos. And so Ooh. that led me there. Um, but on an off chance, the costume side comes in is an off chance meeting. I went to Comic-Con San Diego right Mm -hmm. after graduation um so i went with a a few friends and we have you know we're graduating so we have our art portfolio like you know just of all the stuff we've done in college right took it to comic-con and try to get jobs so we're like oh let's Mm -hmm. go to wizards of the coast and let's go to you know all of the video game companies and let's try to get jobs or let's go see if we can draw for children's books like it was just a very broad thing um while all the while i'm still production designing to pay bills and stuff so we go and there's a panel of costume designers um that are showing you know their work and showing what they do and we're like oh like you know one of our teachers didn't she say something about the costume designers guild so we're like yes so we stayed and watched and they had an autograph session after so after that we went and we showed our you know illustration portfolios to them um and one of my friends oksana who's a really you know brilliant watercolor painter and also a costume illustrator now like i am she got hired that very next week. So we're about a month out of school. And that next week, she gets hired to go to Prague for eight months to work on Narnia 2. Wow. So that was pretty impressive. And so we're sitting there and we're saying, oh, my gosh, that's a crazy job. So I joined as well. I was like, you know what? This is just another avenue. Maybe I can do costume, too. And I mm-hmm. got hired a month to the day of me joining to do The Mummy 3 with Jet Li. Oh, wow. And yeah. that was my first job. And then I've been working ever since. So I started to, that was the transition. So when I was production designing, I would go and do a big music video. Then I'd, mm-hmm. I'd work on a movie for like two, three months. And then I'd go back to doing videos and I'd do commercials. And, I'd do, and it kept going back and forth and back and forth. And then costume really started to grow and pick up for me. And it started to become where I was doing costume a majority of the year. And now it's right. much primarily what I do. I'm just a concept artist that works in costume. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, there's a whole side of uh, production design and costume design. I think that sometimes is uh, maybe no overlooked is the right word, but then isn't seen as like a main income for people who, you know, want to maybe start doing costumes or design and then think, well, you know, I'll do games or I'll do design for a character. But you know, I remember we went to a panel. I think this was 2017 industry workshops in London, mm-hmm. uh, and there was a there was a guy there called Daryl Warner. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Yeah, Daryl's great. He's amazing. Yeah. Wow, well, we were just blown away. I mean, at the time, he was showing off a lot of the Pirates of the Caribbean stuff he'd done. Um, And wow, yeah, just like we were blown away that uh, these huge illustrations uh, that had a more traditional feel, that felt like more old school traditional illustration, um, were getting, you know, put forward for a lot of modern designs and film. Um, And I think he also talked about how a lot of people who'd done illustration or done character design never think specifically about going into production design for costume and because um, people, I think, sometimes associate costuming just with the hand stitching, the building of the actual costumes, but not the physical pre-designed stuff. I mean, even recently, I, I know there was a, a talk from, I can't remember the artist's names, but it was the man who designed Kylo Ren's whole costume for the, the new Star Wars films. Yeah. Um, was that, a, I know, was it the costume? Was it Michael Kaplan? Or was it, I think it might have been, yeah, I'm trying to remember the guy's name, but I think he did speak with an accent, uh, long dark hair, uh, tan skin. Um, but yeah, he he was kind of responsible for a lot of the costume design on the oh, new... Um, it was one of the artists. I know what you're talking about. 
yeah 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 so yeah but again but like the point i was trying to make is that i think when people talk about costume and maybe especially for film or tv it is more of the thought of building the costumes as opposed to the pre-design pre-production stuff um but was that something that once you were in and doing you felt like was just your natural wheelhouse like did you just fall into that very naturally um i think that it wasn't it wasn't completely naturally i think the, the natural part for me was the love of costume and character and then right. I think that along the way, I was just really lucky to have the opportunity to work with so many different costume designers because the way it works is the costume designer is like on the film, they're the ones that are responsible for, you know, everything that goes on the body. So they're trying to design the clothes and the characters and the background and all of that stuff. And yep. then they hire people like me because we kind of draw and conceptualize and can figure out like kind of what's going on with them. So they'll say, you know, I've got this thing, this character and they're in space. And, you know, I feel like they should be wearing like this, like dove white or this gray. And, mm-hmm. you know, they give you like a, a broad, you know, like a, a general gist of kind of what they see the character to be and you help right. them flesh it out. So in that, right. once I started to learn, there was all kinds of stuff that I had to pick up on. Like, whereas I could draw the costumes and the characters, I had to learn about like construction or how things fit together or, you know, where seams are or like, you know, things like gussets, which are basically little panels to make it so that you can do action. So it's like, it's, right. you know, sewn in the clothes. So it's like, all of those things I felt like I picked up over time, but my natural mm-hmm. interest in it, it just felt like building on what, it felt like building on a minimal bit of what I knew and then expanding on it in a great deal, you know? Yeah, because I mean, your credits now, I mean, at the moment, have spanned, you know, uh, multiple films. I mean, probably too many to mention. I mean, you could be filling a whole entire slot of this podcast just talking about the stuff you've worked on. Um, but then a big chunk of it is maybe, you know, the, the more seen stuff. So like a lot of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you've done stuff for, um, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy films, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, when it went, and I think especially from the Marvel side of it, were you drawing a lot of inspiration from the original source material the comic stuff or was it a mix of also trying to mix the real world into that stuff as opposed to the traditional designs also it's all it's always a balance so marvel's got there i gotta give a shout out to the you know visual development team over at marvel um yep ran by you know ryan minerding you know um Andy oh ryan yeah awesome guy yeah like great guys over there and there's a whole team Mm -hmm. of artists there that work and ultimately marvel's you know, Marvel's main aesthetic is making sure that they're true to their characters. And so the source right. material is key. That's been yeah. one of the biggest things. It's like they must feel and look the way that they feel on the page. And if you mm. deviate from it, it's usually because then you are trying to make something that feels more real or something. Mm-hmm. You have to start thinking about those things. But the source material is always where we start on a Marvel job. So it's like looking at the comic book making sure that the character really has the essence of that person, the flavor of that person, you know, the heart Mm -hmm. of that that character. And then Mm -hmm. in costume, we do have to try to look at it and say, okay, who's the actor? What's their body like? How can we make them look the best? You know, what look good on them? What's realistic? What's not, you know, like all of those things. So it's, Mm -hmm. it it is a balance, but I will say that I, you know, I'm proud of at least for most things, it's trying to look at the character, find the source material, be true mm-hmm. to that person and then just expand on it yeah of course i mean i think it's even taking some characters that are loved and trying to maybe put your own twist or like have a realization of like how would they look in present day i mean i know for me not knowing you know again i was doing a bit of research before we talked but um i never realized you'd done a production design of uh bishop from the x-men stuff and uh you know bishop's one of my all-time favorite characters and i think the interpretation you had of him um i don't know how much you had in that that design but it, i thought it was the most realistic depiction i had seen a bishop in a long time um and i think that's something that you bring probably to the design of the costumes is that grounding and on realistic materials and and the way things look and i'm assuming i'm assuming you're conscious of that when you're drawing these things out oh for sure uh, well I, and i also want to go back i do want to note that the production design is set design so it's a different thing so this is right full-blown it's like costume design but it's basically for me or concept art my concept the concept for Bishop, like he's one of my favorite characters of all time. So to be able oh, cool. to draw him, like I started working on him my first day. So I was like super excited and kind of <laughs> because he's such an iconic character. Um, mm-hmm. Also one of those things where 
yeah, I, I definitely looked at all the reference, you know, I tried to find stuff, but I also knew the one thing that was key that was a big change or a departure was his color palette. Cause you know, how he has the bright, like the blue and the yellow and the red. Um, yes. And that, that was the thing that I fought because I didn't want to do versions where he looked like that. But at the same time, knowing how the film was going to be, I knew that it was like dark and post-apocalyptic and they're yeah. trying to hide and there's deadly sentinels. So it's like, okay, we have to dull down his palette because they wouldn't want to stand out or be seen. Like it just wouldn't make sense for survival. So that was the first yeah. kind of change I made. But then I was very adamant about, um, that was me working with costume designer Louise Mingenbach, and she's done a lot of the X-Men films. Um, and okay. so we were going back and forth, and she knew that I had a love for the characters, so she was just like, well, what do you think? And one of the mm-hmm. things that I had to make sure is that he still had his iconic, like, two-stripe going down the side of his costume. I was like, he has to have this. Like, this is... Right. Yes, that, and also he has to have his dreads, and he has to have, like, some kind of red, you know, cloak or scarf or something. I was like, I feel like right. he can still do that. So I feel like the essence of him was still there. And I feel like fans mm-hmm. responded to that, but I feel like had we strayed too far away from it, people would just get upset, you know, like that's not Bishop. So I, yeah. I enjoyed the balance of that. And I think it was successful. Yeah. I think it's interesting to even pose a line between, um, I mean, this is more like a fanboying of me, but then if you look between the X-Men films and then the Marvel cinematic universe, because both exist as Marvel properties, but there was a joke really early on in the first X-Men film where Cyclops is talking to Wolverine about the costumes and Cyclops says, what do you want? Yellow spandex. But then you, but then you look at the, the, the whole realization there of the Marvel cinematic universe and some of the costume designs are a bit more flamboyant. I mean, even taking Captain Marvel, you went straight for the, you know, the almost traditional red-blue. Um, even, I mean, the first time seeing Captain America's, you know, stuff in, in the, the first Avenger film. And again, his costume, you know, the guys are in, in the, uh, the army slugs and the, the, the camo stuff. But of course, uh, he still has the, the red, white and blue and the shield. So I feel like that was almost a thing that was, was at the battle of those two because the X-Men films have, I think, especially early on, tried to tone their color palette down from the cartoons and and the comics um but i think marvel in a sense and parts has embraced a lot of that comic feel do you feel like that's something that's yeah okay so basically this is what it like every it's like it's like i'm gonna get myself in trouble but it's like i'm a (laughs) heart so with every x-men film that i've worked on there's been a, a great deal of frustration for me personally um okay no i'm enjoying the work because I know what those characters should feel and look like. And I feel like I just, I remember when Fox had them, I just wanted them to try. Like, I just wanted to say, hey, can we try to use blue and yellow? Is it possible? You know, like, it's like, can we do it? Because it's like the main people, the people that, you know, the powers that be, mainly the heads of studio and stuff, they're going to say, that's why they made that joke. They're just like, at the time, back then, I don't know if it would have worked as well to do the colors, but I think that as they moved to subsequent films, they could have tried more because we moved Marvel's biggest strength and why I'm excited that they have it back now is Mm -hmm. they really do. They say Wolverine's got these pointy things on his face. Let's figure it out. They don't say, no, that's dumb. You know, they don't just, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think that that's the best part about, you know, them having those properties back now is I'm excited to see like, what does Wolverine look like when he's wearing his mask? What does Storm yeah. look like as being a fully African woman, like an African woman? Like, I, I want to yes. see that. Like, I think I want to see those things. And, it, and I've always talked about this. It's the little things. Like, what do Nightcrawler's feet look like when they're actually that kind of inverted thing as opposed to just being like Frodo feet that are blue? You know what I mean? Like, All right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to see, because I know that they'll get those details right. What does Rogue look like when she's not just like a whiny, like, oh, no, I can't touch people. And she's like strong. Like, what does that look like? Yeah. You know? So yeah. I think it's it's time. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I will say not to, I mean, to defend them a little bit, but it's like, I will say the X-Men films kind of kind of bridge that way. Like, they bridge the way for us to be able to do that. Like, I think it started with like Blade, like films like Blade and then X-Men came and it was like superheroes were kind of ramping up. But I do give credit to the fact that I remember I worked on the first, uh, on the Captain America with Ron Mm -hmm. uh, and with Charlie, um, Mm -hmm. watching them work and just kind of come up with these things and trying to figure out what would Captain America look like where he still has his red, white, and blue, but also mixing it with that 40s feel. Like, what does that feel like? That's really exciting to see. And I, I, I feel like that's where design should go. Yeah, 100%. I think the more you lean into the comics, I think, and it's, again, 
less an artistic thing, but more, I think, a fanboy thing where you've seen the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the more they lean into it, even that comedy feel. I mean, I know Thor Ragnarok for me was a big stepping point where everything was getting less serious and it was being more more cartoony, more jokey, more, you know, flowing. Whereas I think initially with X-Men and even now with DC that, you know, the dark shade tries to descend and make it too, too serious, too super serious, too on the nose. Um, and then I think that because MCU has done so well, I think that's mostly because they've leaned into the comics and understand that you can be adult about certain things, but at the end of the day, it's a comic book. You know, it's a fantasy telling. It's not supposed to be real life, so yeah. you don't you don't have to ground everything. Um, but then again, like you said, I think even towards you know you look at like Endgame and just the range of costumes that were in that, and the whole you know, and Iron Man's armor's been so iconic for so long. It's hard. It's so much work, but it's also it's one of those things where that's what I appreciate. You you nailed it right there, which is. For me, the biggest thing that I've had, especially like in Hollywood, when they do approach things is there's kind of this dismissive energy that Marvel doesn't take. Marvel's like, the reason that we have this property is because there's tons of people that like it and it's been successful. So why mm -hmm. would we then take that character when it's time to do it and change it? That's the key thing. Yeah. If I'm going to see a film and I'm like, mm -hmm. this film takes place like Dark Phoenix. If I'm going to see that, the reason I loved it and why it was so successful is I want to see the Shi'ar Empire. I want to see space. I want to see aliens. I want to see all yeah. those things. So to take it and ground it to where it's just like, oh, no, I'm having a bad day. I've got all this. <laughs> it's like, no, that's not the story. Like, that's the core part of the story. You know, but yeah. can we have, and I think that what Marvel did that's also smart is they very smartly expanded their universe over this time to include so now it's like sure if they're gonna if they take a if they at some point do the dark phoenix saga it would yeah. be weird to see them go to space or to see people show up from space because they've already established that world it wouldn't be weird to see crossover with guardians or any of those other people because mm -hmm. they've already established it but i feel like with this it's like i think it also comes down to money which is i know that mm -hmm. they also think about the fact they're like space costs money I, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's one of those things where it's like Marvel's in a really good place to do it because they do have yeah. the funding, but they also have the support and they've already done it, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, even for me, I feel like the best depiction of Dark Phoenix wasn't actually Dark Phoenix, it was Captain Marvel. <laughs> it was yeah. like, yeah. it was looking, yeah, it was looking her approach and her powers and the way she just portrayed herself. And I was like, that is exactly what it should have been. Obviously, it's a bit of a darker, and like you said, the Sheenar Empire. And I remember, I mean, I didn't read the comic version, I watched the, the kids' cartoon t TV show in the 90s, and they done the whole saga, you know, when she went into space and met them and, and broken her powers. And, and yeah, like, I feel like that should have been explored more but then I, I think that eventually in time probably now that they brought that back that will be its own end game right that'll be its own series of marvel films that delve into that you know x-men saga because the x-men probably has three times as much lore as most comics out there because there's just so many of them and so many branching story arcs that came up through any of them for you know almost each individual x-man they all had their own origin stories they all had their own backstories you know like when lee was writing them he talked about how he couldn't really, you know, give everybody's, you know, gamma rays or be bitten by radioactive spiders. So eventually it was just like, oh, well, they're all mutants. So you right. could just write about all of them. So, but there's so much there that I feel like, you know, you look at the next phase of Marvel stuff that's just been announced. And of course, we just talked about Blade as well. Like I've been a, a, a you know, um, a Marvel Blade fan for a long time. And I felt at the time Wesley Snipes done a really good job of portraying him. Mm -hmm. um, but then like to see the the new act, I forget the guy's name. I know who he is, but I, I forgot the guy's name. But I think, yeah. So I'm, I'm really interested to see again where that goes and how they're going to feed that. Because obviously there's a lot of interactions between him and Punisher, him and Spider-Man. Yeah. So it's like, how are they going to feed that in and a lot of questions basically a lot of stuff um but yeah it's like a whole slew of stuff that you probably are now looking forward to designing right because there's like just so much on the horizon do you feel like just the kid in the candy store i do because i think it's one of those things that it's like what the way it works now is that you have the biz dev team at marvel and then i'll usually work with the costume designer so they are mm -hmm. separate but kind of working in tandem so mm -hmm. I think that there has been a great deal of anticipation for what's going to happen and all of this stuff mm. coming up and like what there's what's going to be available to work yeah. on design wise. Um, but it is exciting, um, and I have full faith in the fact that like that design price process at Marvel is super strong. Um, yeah, and just so many options. So I'm really excited to see you know like what like there's so many 
options to where to go, like where to take stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. It's also fun to just see everybody's take because they also will do multiple tests of like, you guys go and you take these characters and then everybody comes up with their ideas. And it's just, it's a really creative, fun environment to be a player. Right. Yeah, I mean, because you've got such... I mean, huge creative minds. I mean, even, you know, back in the day when, I mean, long, long ago, I watched some of the making of documentaries for God of War, excuse me, God of War 3. Mm-hmm. And uh, Andy Park was part of that team. And now you look at Andy now, the stuff he's doing over at Marvel, um, Yana as well, that was yep. for a long time doing freelance stuff with, you know, when we first met her, I remember she was working for Riot on the side. She was doing some League of Legends stuff. She was also doing some freelance, you know, and then, She's a Marvel full time now. Like it's just like the team across there is like some of the best people in the industry, yourself included. So um, I feel like Marvel has just over time just been grabbing just the best people they can and forming this like their own X Men, right? Their own <laughs> killer team yeah. of people with superpowers. Um, and it's yeah, a, it's a great group of people too. Yeah, I could imagine. I mean, LA in general. I mean, again, my first time out at Lightbox, my first time out in LA for I think ever, and just to see. I mean, even at Lightbox, when we were there, you know yourself, there was just so many talented people, so many panels, so many people having tables and selling stuff. And, you know, you could walk up to a person who was doing like the own little indie comic and then you're like, oh, you know, is this your full-time job? And they're like, oh, no, I actually work full-time at DreamWorks. And yeah. like, oh, my God. Like, it's crazy. And they had the whole League of Legends signing panel there. So, I mean, like, yeah, there's just a whole slew of talent in that town that is crazy. And, I mean for me i think now it's just looking at you know not only like you've got your film stuff but are you still working within like music videos or tv as well or are you full-time in film now i'm pretty much full-time in film i did get offered a music video to do something um slightly animated that might be okay but it's 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 a work in progress i i primarily am film-based now just doing concept art um right in costume um and then i kind of go back and forth now between kind of like freelancing it where i'm doing something you know mm-hmm. directly with a director or a producer or i'm working right. directly for a costume designer so that's kind of my avenue right now yeah so you doing a mix of also on set or at studio as well or is it is it just the more pre-production side where you're in maybe the costume department working and stuff or do you also get to work with actors or a bit of both or it's pre-production it, it sometimes it's both like sometimes I'm pretty much on the project for as long as they need custom design work. So it's like anything that needs to be fully designed and fleshed out, the illustrator, you know, will kind of be on. And so that could be, you know, a few months. And then sometimes you're on a show to where you're designing and drawing stuff. Like if you're on a television show, you can work on a television show pretty much the entire season because there are only ever a couple of episodes ahead of what you're actually seeing on TV. So there's constantly stuff to design. So that has been when I get to interact a little bit more or like on a film, if I'm on a film for a long period of time, actors are coming in and doing their fittings while we're still designing new costumes for them. And so you get to interact and kind of see things kind of take shape and grow and then there's fittings and all of that stuff. So it's a full process, Um, but I'm primarily pre-production, meaning that I'll work probably for the first like three to four to you know to six like that'd be like a long job six yeah. of a project just developing things and then as mm-hmm. we start to get closer to shooting i usually move to something else right okay cool and then i mean i think it would be almost irresponsible for me not to ask the question but like you know you talked about you know your legacy initially with you working as an actor when you were very young and how the roles were being portrayed in hollywood at the time um, it might sound like a completely cliche question, and I do apologize if it does, but no. what was your experience on Black Panther? And was that a big stepping stone, you think, for Black actors in Hollywood also? That's actually a really perfect question because it's something I address or I talk about often, which is mm-hmm. that, that moment for me, um, especially for that backstory that you now know, um, was a yeah. full circle moment for me. It felt like, because what I was working on, I was working on A Wrinkle in Time and Black Panther at the same exact time. So okay, right. that, like, I was going back and forth between the two of those before I switched over to Black Panther full time. And okay. I remember, because I have a little girl, my daughter's going to be 10 this year. But at the time, I right. was looking at her and I was saying she's got all of these visual representations of herself she's got you know she's gonna have black panther she has wrinkle she's got you know she had her first president is barack and you know michelle so she has all of these things that i didn't have where i was like that struggle or that fight won't be the same for her it's better right and so it felt like a full circle moment where i was like not only 
are these things happening, but I get to be a mm -hmm. part of them. And it just felt really special. Like it's felt like I could see it happening. Like I remember talking about Black Panther while we were still working on it. And I was like, mm -hmm. hey guys, do you realize like, and this is a silly thing, but it's something that like, I mean, like collectors will know. I was like, there's gonna be like, if you go to like Target, there'll be, or like, you know, Toys R Us or any of those stores that were around, like, it's like, there's gonna be a full aisle of black toys. Like I've never mm -hmm. seen this before. Like I just like be, it was stuff like that where it's like, you kind of take it for granted. But I remember going to like the toy store when I was little and just fighting to be like, I know that there might be one Bishop sitting in that box or one store. Yeah. And that's the only toy that'll come for like months on end. And it was like, so to see that, I took pictures of it when the film came out and to see aisles full of, you know, toys that were, you know, black people that just yeah. felt just incredible to me. So it was like little things like that were like little moments where I was like, this is a huge moment that might just kind of go by, but it felt like yeah. a full circle moment. Yeah. And of course you would have probably been side by side working with Ruth Carter as well, who oh, is yeah. also a legend in the, in the field. And I mean, what was that experience like also? She's great. I mean, like we're, we're really good friends. She's, um, uh, she's a great collaborator and ultimately she kind of she she has so much knowledge so we were lucky to work with her because she had just done she had done a reboot or um, like a, a new uh, uh, roots so she had just come back she had done all this research in Africa so she had all of this research of like all these different tribes and mm -hmm. um, and we had uh, poster boards up all over the office like the the office walls were lined with like this is the Himba tribe. This is the Zulu mm -hmm. tribe, like all these different ones. And the best part about it is, is that I could ask her questions and she would know the answer. Like I could say, why is, you know, the Himba tribe's hair this way? And she would right. oh, because, and that really gave me an education because most of costume is research. Like if you can research what things are and why people are the way that they are, the mm -hmm. costumes and stuff come out better. They're more, they're peppered with a realness that you can't really just fake. So right. She was able to kind of do that. And I think that collaboratively, she's like a, a, a creative booster. Like, I feel like some people can kind of drain your creative energy. She's the exact opposite. She kind of helps bring it out because she's also right. herself where she'll sit and sketch and draw a little bit or she'll give you notes. Mm. Um, so I felt like I, for the first time working with her, I felt like Africa, especially here in the States, because we have a different view of it. Africa yeah. feel like something that I was just kind of passing by and kind of being like, that's interesting. It felt like I mm -hmm. learned it. Like I can tell yeah. you why beads are a certain color or mm -hmm. why, um, why they wear them or why mm -hmm. what their scarification means or what the markings mean or what the, it, like so many different things that I learned and picked up and it gave mm -hmm. me a greater appreciation for it. Um, and, and that's all Ruth. That was very much so, uh, something that I feel like sparked from her. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, like even, you know, the people I've talked to who have looked at, you know, minorities in uh, cartoon, film, TV, you know, there has been really just no things that have, you know, I mean, there's certain things throughout the years that have always came along and, and, and re, you know, re-solidified those things in people's eyes. But, you know, I remember there was a panel a while back and I think it was one of the San Diego Comic Cons where Tyler the Creator was getting asked about changing one of the, the races of the superheroes from white to black and you know, he just kind of exploded on the panel and he was like, I mean, he was like, just name for like off the top of your head, five black superheroes, if you can, that have shows right now. Like, you know, he's like, just talk about, you know, how many there are in the world. I mean, not even just America. And it's like, there's just so, I mean, he talked about, you know, growing up watching stuff like Static Shock when he was really super yeah. young. And he was like, yeah, like th that stuff for me spoke to me on like a level that Spider-Man didn't for a reason until Miles came along. And then of course now you look at like uh, Into the Spider-Verse and how influential that's been and, and that their main actor the main spider-man that was portrayed in that particular film was also black so i feel like there is definitely like a renaissance coming again of these shows depicting um you know races that aren't just white and i mean do you feel like that's something that is also a movement in hollywood just now that's happening slowly it's definitely happening and it's something that i mean like i i just because I think it also, too, one of the things that I've been really careful about is it, it always comes down to the kind of like black and white. But I was like, there's so many other people. So I just, mm -hmm. I feel like what's happening in Hollywood, which I think is good, is that they're recognizing that they can expand stories beyond 
what they're used to telling. I'm like, if someone wants to tell a story about, you know, a Filipino social worker that was like a revolutionary, tell it. Like, if you want to tell a story about, you know, an Indian girl that gets superpowers and saves, you know, whatever, like, tell it. Like, I think that's yeah. kind of where we are now. And I think it's really great to see because it just will make entertainment better and more true. And it'll mm-hmm. expand our minds to a place where we are accepting of other people. And I think that that's something that Black Panther kind of started. I even think mm-hmm. until in time to its to a degree, one of, one of the things that I used to challenge my friends to do is exactly something you said, is I would say, hey, name five films where a little Black kid goes on an adventure. Yeah. And they would just be like, and they their face would immediately go to like, oh, easy. And then get like super like, oh. And I'd be like, yeah, like, so it's like, Harry Potter, Willow, you know, never ending story, like all these things that I used to grow up watching, you can imagine them, but people don't realize it. It's not a big deal, but it is a big deal to be able to see yourself going on that adventure. You really have to always use your imagination because there's no yeah. one that looks like you doing that. And so to be able to say like, now I've got Black Panther and Wrinkle and they're at the same time, I was like, holy cow, like it's happening. Like it felt to me very much so like it's happening. And now I know that there are projects that are in development that are coming up mm. that are similar, um, mm-hmm. but also with all with all different types of races. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I mean, like I was just going to say, I know, uh, <clears throat> I think it was a couple of years ago that uh, John Cho, the the guy who I think most famously had been in Harold and Kumar, um, who played Harold, you know, he'd yeah. done a whole slew of movie posters where he'd replaced the main lead actor, the protagonist, with him and talking about, like, would you go and see this movie if it was an Asian lead actor? And of course, there's been films like Crazy Rich Asians that have just came out recently that were produced, of course, and, and been a big explosion. But then even stuff like, you know, we go back to looking even just at Black Panther for a moment where, you know, you look at michael b jordan and realizing like how big of a comics fan he was but then he's just recently produced the show raising dion if you've seen that yeah i have and and we watched that start to finish and we were like what a really interesting tale and what a crazy way to portray it and it was so well done and and then again we were trying to think to ourselves that you know we'd seen plenty of those uh those films and those tv shows done with white kids or white cast but never with uh, a lead black actor or, or actress in the whole main focus i mean like it's like you said there's this whole slew now of stuff that's coming out and great that it's produced by those people i mean michael b jordan being one of them it um it it what it what it used to be and it, and this is just real race yeah. was used against you so it would always be like they would do things like i mean like and these are like producers producers you know to a certain degree mm-hmm. back in the day they would say something like well if you have if you have Halle Berry and she's the romantic lead in a thing, mm-hmm. you have to cast someone that's white opposite of her or the movie won't sell. I mean, they would do things like this, like these algorithms that were literally like, you know, they were just mm-hmm. exclusionary, they were racist. Like they would just, mm-hmm. that's kind of just the way that it would work. So like a lot of the times for things like Raising Dion, they would mm-hmm. say, we don't think that this will sell or people right. are into it. Or even I've even heard, you know, one of those things where they'd be like, oh, black people aren't into that or don't see themselves that way. Like if you're talking, <laughs> you're like, what, like in space or in like a fantasy? Like you, <laughs> like you don't read comic books, yeah. Yeah, you leave us out of these things and then say that they don't make money. But at the same time, like how are we supposed to see ourselves in something that you never include us in? So it was kind yeah. of like this weird conundrum and Black Panther just kind of, even though we all knew it, it blew that, that you can no longer use that excuse. So you'd sound silly. So it's like, even yeah. if it was something that people tried to use to keep people out, you can no longer say it. So you can't say, oh, that won't make money. And it's like, what do you mean? You know, cause mm-hmm. now you have all these examples. So it really did open up the playing field. And ultimately at the same time, everything's run by money. So some of it's gonna be people really wanna see diversity. And then some of it's gonna be people are like, oh, diversity is the next thing to make money. Right. So it's like yeah. balance, but I think all of it's good. All of it's like, as long as I get more stories of people of color just across the board, not just black, just everyone, we all yes. win. Yeah, of course. I think I, all all races should be represented, not just white. Of course, it should be just a spectrum, a color. You know, it, it shouldn't just be the one. So, I mean, like even when I mean, there was a uh, I remember a really funny and controversial interview when somebody was interviewing. You know, somebody when the buzz was about Black Panther outside a, a movie studio, and they were interviewing a, a, a person of color, a, a black person, saying, "Or oh, is this is this because you want to take a stand and you want to make sure that there's a black representation in cinema?" And he was like, "Dude, I just love the comics. Yeah, it's the only reason." I- 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, like there was no ulterior motive. He was just a comics fan. It's like the thing where um, a lot of people I've met in my life who are possibly minorities are never seen as like they can be geeks, they can be into comics, video games, manga, anime, Japanimation, whatever. It's always just, oh, that's a white culture thing. But then it's also shared across the entire trait of cultures. Everybody has their own depiction on that, right? Oh, yeah, everyone loves it. That I mean, that's been that's been one of the key things too is like, you're right. It's like, it gets kind of sectioned out. It's like, no, like everyone has, you know, within every genre, there's going to be all kinds of races that love it. So it's just like, I think isolating it and be like, oh, black people don't like that. Or like, they're not into this. It's like, no, they're like, it's like, maybe some aren't, but it's like with everybody, it's just like, no, some people are and some people aren't. And there's a whole avenue of creative people that almost, honestly, if you were really looking to make money, you would look into it because there's full groups of people that you continue to ignore or act like they just exist and they're there. So I think it's those things that I also, I've really enjoyed the quarantine for this reason, which is there's all these videos. There's that, uh, I don't know if you've seen it. There's a challenge called the don't rush challenge where it's playing this song and people are dressed like normal and they put a brush or they put something in front of the camera and then they're all dressed up. Like, oh, okay, yeah. so what's been great about that is I've started to see ones where it's like, it'll show stuff like, uh, it'll show, I've seen like black alternative where it's like a girl and she's dressed normal and then she covers the camera. And then when it comes back, she's in full golf makeup just to show oh, yeah, yeah. black people that like this too. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's that it's, it's across the board opened up the creativity to show like, listen we're all in this together like there are people that like punk there are people that like this there are people that like comics there are people that like science like whatever it is across the board we all like different things and i think that what's been great is we're finally starting to see that come across in entertainment yeah, yeah definitely and i think it's it's a good thing obviously it's something we all want so it's, it's one that should be a definitely more weight push behind it than than less and then Moving on to what even just like the costume and stuff. I mean, when you were kind of early on building a lot of the stuff for uh, like even just Black Panther or a lot of the other stuff you've worked on, how much influence do you take also into the person that's playing it? Because I know, I remember I listened to a talk Carla Ortiz done at TH a couple of years ago and she was talking about when they were designing the stuff for Doctor Strange, like they didn't even know if Benedict Cumberbatch was going to be Doctor Strange at that time. So like, is that something that you're kind of clearly thinking about? Well, like, is the costume first or is that that the actors first? I mean, how do you kind of portray those two design flaws in, in each other? Um, I think it kind of happens at the same time. Like, that definitely was Carla. Carla was just like, Benedict Cumberbatch would be perfect. And so she just drew it. And it was like... Yeah. <laughs> and then he was cast. It was perfect. So that's all Carla. And, um, I love her. Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, but I, I think... Um, we think about it, it's it's difficult. Like lots of the time when I start, I'll be working with the costume designer. Sometimes we won't have cast at all. So we'll right. know, here's the character, this is their thing. So I read the script, figure out who they are, talk with the costume designer. They give me their vision of who they think that they are. And then we start to draw. If we mm-hmm. do have the actor, which is, you know, at least for the main actors, you'll probably have at least the main two leads. You'll know who they mm-hmm. are because they've already kind of cast them or they're working with them. It does right. change how you think about doing their costume because you have to look at their body and say, okay, this person doesn't have long legs. So what will make them appear to have longer legs than what they have, but also make sure that we're not making them look short or right. this person has a weird stomach or a weird you know, chest or this person slouches, like there's all of those right. things. And you're trying to balance and work. And I think that's the real magic of costume design is trying to figure out it's like, you know, being an architect of the body. So a, a lot of the times, at least conceptually for us, if we don't have cast, we just cast our own people. Like my Bishop illustration was just, I think, a model that I found online that I felt like had a really strong face where I was like, right, oh, will help sell this concept, you know? So yeah. that's kind of it. Or sometimes you just, you do, you think about people, um, um, character wise, where you're just like, okay, we don't have any cast for these ex kids or for the ex kids. Mm-hmm. Who could that be? And we just draw people that we feel like would be best. And then sometimes, weirdly enough, it works out. The director will be like, who is that? You know what I mean? Like, or like who, and then they get attached to it and they're like, let's bring them in for an audition, you know? So Mm -hmm. that's something that happens as well. Um, But I'd say it kind of all happens at the same time. If we don't have cast, we try to cast it ourselves just so that we have something to sell. Because ultimately Mm -hmm. the illustrations are going to go to the director and the producer. And we're, we're, our focus is trying to sell that idea so it can be made. 
So yeah. we're trying to sell it at all costs. And then other times when we have the actor, then we're putting them in there and really trying to focus on, you know, how to get costumes that are going to be accurate to them, which actually mm-hmm. comes now with technology because we have stuff like scans, right? So we can scan right. the actor's body and then we're working directly on their body, you know, in right. or whatever. So that also helps. So is that a case that is almost like a, a, an ongoing process where, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll prefab or you'll pre-make the, the costume on your sketches and then it will be fabricated. And then if they maybe go to a fit and, and take some, you know, promotional shots and you have a real look and maybe you need to come, pardon the pun, back to the drawing board. Um, do you guys, do you, the guys would be coming again, you would have another iterative process. Is that something that goes on a lot at the start that you're just kind of, I don't know if it, I mean, it's a lot to make a costume. Obviously, that's a budget. But is there a time when you're then coming back and redrawing stuff? Yeah, that happens too. Sometimes, like, there'll be tweaks or something that we've drawn was very rough and it got approved, but then we kind of start to finish it. So we go back and kind of draw or make changes. Um, mm-hmm. There are times, too, where a costume needs continual changes, like, you know, something just isn't working or, like, mm-hmm. shoulder pads are wrong or something. And so when the actor mm-hmm. puts the try clothes on, you, you make adjustments and you say, you know what, this really doesn't work. Uh, right. So there's a there's a constant go back and forth. But, I mean, a lot of those costumes you see, they take months to develop and to work out. Like, from right. the point of just even getting, like, uh, like, if you take Black Panther, Anthony Francisco did the Dora Milaje. So, right. Uh, and so it's like he got that illustration approved it come it comes over to costume we're going back and forth and then we're showing like here's just the legs of it here's the beading and then ruth is saying like these beads need to mean this based on this try like it's a whole back and forth of trying to figure that out and then also trying to say okay we've sold this illustration and that's what we're doing but then now we have to look at lupita's body and make sure that it looks good on her so then there's a whole nother let's redraw the costume again to see what it'll look like on her with her right so it's like it's those things and i think that that process it's very long it's super collaborative and it just it goes until you know the point that the costumes show up on set yeah of course but then with you being experienced with you having done many 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 of these you will probably get into a rhythm where you almost automatically look at an actor or have an idea of like what you're going for already and do you feel that that process comes more naturally to you or do you still feel like Mm -hmm you're kind of starting from the beginning and drawing stuff and maybe getting a little bit lost. I mean, I suppose it's a question of how confident you are as an artist, which I'm assuming is very, but is there any points where you still feel like you, you have to not struggle, but that you really have to put thought on any stuff you're, I mean, you always, you know what I'm trying, I don't know yeah. if you know what I'm trying to say, but like, how, how, how has that process maybe changed? It's, it's changed. I am, I'm more confident in the skill set that I have now. And also I've worked with so many different designers now that I have mm-hmm. a shorthand with a lot of them. Like I know what their aesthetics are or what they like and what they don't like. So it's kind right. of like being inside of their head. So I feel confident going into a job because I already have a shorthand. And then I mm-hmm. also have a lot of ideas that I can put forth and I'm trusted to put them forth. So I think that that also helps. But I do still, every on every project, there is a level of you know anxiety of if you're going to get something right. Or there's also a balance. So it's like traditionally with like concept art, right? There's a different, mm-hmm. there is a slight difference with uh, costume and then mm-hmm. like uh, uh, traditional concept art. Like if you're coming from video games, like you're the character designer. So you're doing the entire thing yourself. You're figuring out the look and the hair and the makeup and the, the clothing or the costume or whatever it is, like from start from head to toe. When yep. you're working in costume, you're working with an entirely other designer. So you're working with the costume designer. So you're, it's like this like symbiotic you know relationship where you're like sharing that process. Mm-hmm. So there's yeah. that. But then there's also the construction side. So whereas in a video game, you can kind of get away with stuff, like you can draw stuff and it doesn't, it makes sense, but to, you can make it make sense because it's not real. The hard right. part I think about being a concept artist in costume is you need to draw things to where they're interesting and fun. And so your mind just needs to wander. But then mm-hmm. you also have that functional side of your brain to where you're thinking, can this be made and does it make sense? So that's right. the part that's hard because sometimes the two will battle each other. Like sometimes I'm like, I just want to draw this big ass shoulder piece because it's awesome looking. And then right. I put on an actor, it would probably be like 50% smaller and right. if they move their arm, something might happen. So then it, it stops my design process. And that's the part that I struggle with the most is that I want to draw something just because I like it and I want it right. to be cool. 
And so I really have backed myself into a thing where I'm like, you know what? Sometimes you just have to do your thumbnails or your silhouette drawings and you have to just draw something cool first and Mm -hmm. then you move into trying to make it work. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, like even within game production, you know, you can make most things in ZBrush, you can run most things in Unreal Engine, but then asking somebody to physically wear something or trying to get you know a costume and design you know to make a, a certain design or a pattern that maybe it's just impossible in real life it, it's something you have to consider when you're working in film or tv as opposed to games like you said there is you know i mean there is limitations also because even in games it has to serve the character but at the same time you know physical abilities you know like when you're designing stuff for kratos he can wield a 40 foot axe or have armor that covers his entire body but then if you're asking an actor to do that obviously that's going to be a big ask even for somebody who's physically fit right exactly exactly it can be that way i think it's like i mean even the most fit person is going to need help in the costume department so yeah they all still wear muscle suits they all still have to have some kind of you know something that makes them look the best that they can be that's assisted yeah yeah and i think that that's just something that goes with the territory and you get used to it like i've seen yeah one of the things that i love the 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 that i've learned and kind of been privy to is seeing how costume designers or how they'll change the body of someone um with little clothing tricks. Like I know when I was on Star Trek, right? Leonard Nimoy mm-hmm. was older uh, mm-hmm. uh, and he slouches a little bit. He just right. really slouched. Um, and so they built the seams of his shoulders back to where when you look at him from the front, it looks like he's standing up straight. It's like little oh. things like that, like where you're like, that's awesome. Like yeah. so fun to see. And so there's lots of things that happen that way, but also people need to be aware. There's so many things that you see where you would assume they were bought and they're actually right. like when I, I worked on Inception, Inception, you watch that movie and you're like, oh, great. But you're not thinking like, oh, all of these suits are custom made. You're thinking someone bought a suit or a shirt. Oh, wow. But it's like custom made suits, custom made ties, custom made socks. Oh. Like, so when you go back and watch that film again, then you recognize uh-huh. you're like, wow, all of the main actors are wearing custom, you know, designed clothes. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Because you wouldn't. So you wouldn't, especially within costume, and I mean, that's maybe more a question for a costumer, but but then you wouldn't go to like maybe a, a well-known suit brand like Armani or anything like that and ask them to build something. They would, it would all be done in-house, right? All done in-house. And I mean, sometimes I'm not going to say that they don't. Like sometimes, yeah, like they'll go, you go to Armani or something and you look in their archive or you find the perfect suit and they, you know, they buy things. They don't necessarily do that, but it's like for some things, for main characters, like even the stuff you take for granted, like, I forget, mm-hmm. I forget the context of the character now because it's been a while since I've seen the movie. But in Inception, when they yeah. kind of like, it looks like they're in like Morocco or something, and the guys mm-hmm. wearing these like colorful like shirts, it looks like they're just like regular old shirts you would buy. Those are custom. They like they shopped the fabric, figured out his sizes, and then those sh- those shirts were made specifically for that actor. So it's like right. you can't you can't really tell her like if I take a movie like uh, Skyscraper with the rock right he's wearing yeah. regular clothes a lot of that stuff is physically made for his body right yeah so. yeah i mean it was interesting even where i found that again just being a fan but watching stuff uh all about john wick and how a lot of keanu's clothing was built to service the stunt department it was yes. built so that he could you could pass wire rigs through it you could fit a gun and it wouldn't bulge you could you know have somebody that the, the fabric was tough enough that you could be grabbed you could be thrown without lapels ripping and stuff like that so yeah, you can see a, you can see why people would custom build stuff, right? Because you need it to also service the film, the, not just the actor. Exactly. Like stunts is a huge thing in, in all of the films. And so you're also trying to think about where can you put anchor points for harnesses and so they can do all mm-hmm. the stunts and their lifts and all of that. So that also works itself into a lot of our design. I'm going to give a shout out too to Luca Mosca. Um, I just want to say who's the costume designer of John Wick. And he's in the film, the first two, as the guy that makes John Wick's suits. So oh, okay, nice. I can watch that again. His, you know, his cue or the guy that gives him all his gear is the actual costume designer of the film. Wow, interesting. <laughs> okay, there you go. Tip. But yeah, yeah, the, the whole, uh, the whole, the, I forget the name of the guys that do the the stunt, uh, the, the stunt team behind it. But yeah, the whole story of them building that film and then getting Keanu involved in his whole second revitalization in Hollywood, like those films are i mean testament also to keanu just as being an absolute mm-hmm. demon workhorse on set you know 50 plus hours a week just learning stuff 
um but the whole you know we even when you look at like some of the films how they're lit how they're shot the cinematography the costuming the, the stunts the, there's so much depth to those films um i really think it is a standout performance in all aspects of film production um when it comes to the john wick films but then again i think marvel has also seen that other people outside of their realm is stepping up the game so they're also trying to ramp up production on every department including costuming um and i think also because you know it's a great time, like you said, to be you because, you know, part of what makes a superhero a superhero, right, is their costume. So that's almost like you've been given this golden ticket to the land of like, you know, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where you're making some of the icons you grew up with and making them representative on screen. Um, so it's like a it's a huge honor, right? It is. It's a huge honor and it's it's a big responsibility too. You know, it's something where you know, because as, as lucky as you feel to be working on those things, you also know you have a responsibility, or at least I have, I feel that there's a big responsibility to make sure that people that are like me that grew up watching those things or really loving them also feel like you're catering to them because they've been waiting. Like, you know, like, yeah. like if we're going to see this thing, I've been waiting for so long to see, I really am invested in it. And I need to know that like, I try to make sure that that audience is first before the general audience, where sometimes the studio looks at it and they're like, we have to make sure that this is open to a, a brand new fan base. And I'm like, that's great. But at the end of the day, the reason why we all get to work on this in the first place and why it's successful was because of the people that were the original fan base. They're the people yeah. that drove this to be popular enough to where it landed here. So we need yeah. to make sure that, you know, they have some input or at least making sure that we're trying to stay true to it. Um, so it does feel great, but it also feels good to be on the other side of it now to where I'm not yeah. the person saying like, oh, why did this happen? And so there's the balance yeah. of feeling excited about it and then also being terrified that you're going to get it wrong. <laughs> well, I think that's definitely like the biggest worry because, I mean, I know some movies will, will literally live or die on their caution design. I mean, I know... You know, there was a whole, like, taking Ryan Reynolds, for instance, there was a whole thing when the Green Lantern costume came out and how terrible it was. But then you look at guys uh, like Angus Strathy, who, you know, worked on the Deadpool costume, and, like, the whole appeal, I think, of his character was how well his costume worked. Mm -hmm. um, the whole moving eyes thing, the whole expressions that he had within what he had on his body, because yep. his face is not visible for so long. Back of his mask, like, even just making sure it all looked exactly the way it's supposed to look, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, I know for for ages there was a huge controversial uh, topic about, you know, when Spider Man finally came into the MCU for the Civil War stuff, and uh, his eyes could move. They had the expressions yeah. in his eyes. It wasn't like a static costume anymore. So it was like you don't really sometimes realize how much a costume will portray that character. But it's everything, right? It's absolutely yeah. everything. Yeah, it's it's pretty much I mean it's what it's the moneymaker. It's what you're looking at and it's just getting those little details. Like I know Ryan Minerding was really excited about getting to do the moving eyes because he's like, This is gonna make a huge difference, you know? Yeah. I, mean, I think of course. that was something that he felt was very uh, pinnacle to that character. And I think it's those things, like fans will respond like when they see something where like for better or worse, it's what I wanted to see, but also what they're expecting, or at least I know what I expect is like, when I go to the movies, I want the movie to hype up what I already liked, but then I mm -hmm. also want it to be done in a way that I couldn't have imagined. So I want to see, mm -hmm. sure. I don't want to see them in like a full spandex suit you could buy from the store yourself, but I do yeah. want to see them look like themselves, you know? Yeah, of course. You want, you want to be catching the attention. It's almost like a, a pink sweater and a sea of black shirts, right? You want to instantly, look, you know, the, within the first five minutes of the film, be like, okay, I know who this person is. I've read them all my life, so. Great, exactly. Instantly recognizable. Color palettes are pretty much the same or like something about them really just, you very much are like, I know exactly who that person is. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100%. Well, yeah, I think that's definitely um, we're getting towards that time, Phil. But uh, yeah, that was a that was a great talk. I really, really, really loved that, and uh, and thank you for coming on and talking to us. It was super informative. I really, really loved every second of that. Oh no, thank you so much. I mean, I enjoy talking about it. It's like there's so much, there's so many avenues in in entertainment, especially for our jobs that like that people really don't kind of know about. Um, yeah, I, I love to be able to talk about it too, so that people know. Like, yeah, there's other avenues. In can come and draw costumes, you can draw sets, and you can do these things, um, but you can also yep. be a part of the fan base or a part of these things in ways that you hadn't imagined. So it's, it's really great. 
course awesome thanks um yeah well again thanks to phil and thanks for you guys listening it was really awesome to have him on and uh i'm sure we'll get him back at one point um i'll leave phil's details down below um if you guys want to get in touch or check out his work um you can find them on uh, i think you're on art station instagram the usual stuff phil yes usual stuff right okay cool uh and then yeah thanks again for listening to the show um if you guys have any comments leave them below um if you want to get in touch in any way we have a youtube channel itunes podcast services around the world we're on pretty much everything and uh yeah just keep tuned till next time we'll have a, another awesome guest i'm sure um thanks for listening again thanks again to phil and uh we'll, we'll speak to you guys later thank bye. you guys bye guys